Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is January 30th, 2024, and I'm your skeptical host, Dennis Wren. The title of today's podcast is, It's CT Angio. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. For pediatric oropharyngeal trauma. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Ali Espinel, who is an associate professor of pediatrics and otolaryngology at Children's National Hospital and George Washington University. She is also the director of the Pediatric Otolaryngology Fellowship at Children's National. Allie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dennis. And Allie, I'm going to call you out because you were actually the one that chose the theme song for this show. And as I understand it, you and your entire family are a bunch of Swifties. Oh, yes, we are. We um, are fully embracing all the eras. And, you know, I have young girls that are now suddenly football fans. So it's great. My husband loves it. A marriage of two worlds. Well, uh, if Taylor Swift is listening, that's a shout out to you. And uh, Allie, if you want to give a shout out to your two girls, that'd be great. Yeah, Louise and Francis. We know we don't run around with toothbrushes, and we're going to talk about why right now. Fantastic. Let's jump into the case that you brought us. All right. So you are working the morning shift in an emergency department when you encounter a three-year-old boy and his family. His parents tell you that he was getting ready to go off to daycare and brushing his teeth while standing on a step stool by the sink. He slipped, and the toothbrush poked him in the back of the mouth. Initially, his parents noticed that he was bleeding from his mouth and saw what looked like a wound towards the back of his throat. The boy cried immediately afterwards, but has otherwise been acting like himself. On your exam, you notice a small penetrating intraoral injury just lateral to the soft palate without evidence of continued bleeding. His parents ask you, is he going to be okay? We're glad he's not bleeding anymore. Do you think he needs any imaging to see if he hurt anything? Well, Allie, I also make sure that my daughter is standing very still when she is brushing her teeth for this exact reason. Now, unfortunately, kids like to put things in their mouths. Kids also like to run around. And sometimes kids are not particularly coordinated and may fall while having that something in their mouth, which poses a problem because the things they have in their mouths when they fall may cause damage to their oral pharynx. Allie, have you any examples of some of the things you've encountered that have poked children in the back of the mouth? Oh, of course. We all know about toothbrushes. They are definitely the most common. But some notable injuries was a wooden drumstick a child was sucking on and then rolled off the bed. Um, Chopsticks, uh, a kazoo, and even a toy torpedo. Uh, We just had our first snowfall of 2024 here in Washington, D.C., and a boy was running outside with a wooden spoon in his mouth to taste the snow. Well, running ice, spoon in the mouth, you can only imagine what happened. And he ended up with a spoon lodged in his palate. Ouch. You know, the damage can vary. It can be blunt trauma or penetrating trauma. But we get most concerned with the injury to the soft palate because of the possible deep space neck infection and risk to the carotid sheath and carotid artery behind it. And there can be associated thrombosis, dissection, and cerebral infarction. Unfortunately, with a lot of things, you don't see these signs and symptoms immediately. And, you know, that's kind of what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, and these are super scary complications that have been reported in the literature, but seem relatively rare. And we have a lot of clinical decision tools for imaging in pediatric head trauma, 
belly trauma, but we really don't have the same tools when it comes to oropharyngeal injury, which means that there is a lot of variation about which imaging studies are ordered. So, Ali, what is the clinical question we are asking today? So we want to talk about the role of CT angio, also we'll probably refer to it as CTA, and the diagnosis and management of pediatric oropharyngeal trauma. And what's our reference? There was a systematic review published in the Laryngoscope in March 2023 by Curry et al., and this was a review of CT angiography and guiding management of pediatric oropharyngeal trauma. All right, breaking it down by the PICO questions, what was the population they included in this study? These were patients less than 18 years old with trauma to the oropharynx. They included meta-analyses, systematic reviews, randomized controlled trials, case control, and cohort studies, case series, and case reports. They did not include when there was oropharyngeal trauma combined with other severe head injury or multi-system trauma, also non-English publications, and not primary research. And our intervention? CTA. And the comparison? No CTA. What was the outcome they were looking at? Radiologic and clinical outcomes, including infection, injury to vasculature, cerebrovascular injury, and neurologic abnormalities. And finally, what type of study was this? This was a systematic review and meta-analysis of the diagnostic studies. And the authors concluded, quote, Imaging with CTA yielded radiological abnormalities in a few instances. These results do not support the routine use of CTA in screening pediatric oropharyngeal trauma, when balanced against the risk of radiation, as it rarely resulted in management changes and was not shown to improve outcomes. Moving on to our quality checklist. First question. Was the diagnostic question clinically relevant with established criterion standard? Yes. Was the search for studies detailed and exhaustive? No, they followed PRISMA guidelines, but they did exclude non-English publication, limiting the population here, and they did not seek out unpublished studies in the gray literature. And was the methodological quality of primary studies assessed for common forms of diagnostic research bias? Yes, they used the Cochrane-Robbins eye tool that categorized studies into low, moderate, serious, and critical risk of bias or no information. Was the assessment of studies reproducible? Yes. Was there low heterogeneity for the primary outcome? Yes. Do you think the summary diagnostic accuracy is sufficiently precise to improve upon existing clinical decision-making models? No, and we will talk more about this in the Talk Nerdy section. Ooh, I can't wait for that part. Okay, so they did an initial search that identified 5,078 papers after duplicates were excluded, but only eight studies were included in the final analysis. All of those studies were retrospective cohort studies, and only five of those eight studies reported rates of CTA use. Allie, what was the key result? Routine use of CTA in screening pediatric or pharyngeal trauma is not recommended. I think that's fairly simple. So let's get into the details a little bit more here. Those eight studies encompassed a total of 662 patients, and among those patients, 293 underwent CT imaging of some kind, and 255 were specified as undergoing CTA. Some patients also underwent carotid angiography, and that was 
3.4% of the patients who underwent CT or CTA for indications that included free air near the carotid, a bruit neck exam, hematoma next to the carotid artery, carotid spasm, history of tonsil injury, and profuse bleeding, and carotid artery exposure with arterial compression. This is already sounding a bit messy, but let's talk about the outcomes for these patients and how they were managed. Yeah, so there were two cases in which CTA showed disruption of the carotid intima without a thrombus. These two patients were treated with aspirin. Some patients were admitted to the hospital for observation. But what about other treatments like uh, antibiotics? I feel like I tend to give those. Yeah, so only six of the eight studies reported antibiotic treatment. Importantly, no patients were reported to have a cerebrovascular injury or needed vascular surgery. Wow. No patients had cerebrovascular injury or needed vascular surgery. And that sounds pretty good, right? But let's dive even deeper into the nerd zone. Are you ready to talk nerdy? Let's go. First nerdy point is about the heterogeneity of the study. So heterogeneity measurements in the meta-analysis help us detect variations in the included studies. The authors use an I-square statistic, which they report as 0%, meaning there was no heterogeneity amongst the included studies. This is not surprising, as the included eight studies were all retrospective cohort studies and similar methodology in the systematic review. This is a bit problematic, and we'll discuss that at a later point. Our second nerdy point is about funnel plot asymmetry. Now, when we look at the funnel plot in figure three, there is definitely some asymmetry here. And sources of asymmetry can include publication bias and a tendency to publish studies with positive findings. There is also English language bias, where studies with negative findings are published in non-English journals. Methodological quality also impacts asymmetry, as most studies included are on the base of the pyramid, representing smaller studies, which may have less methodological rigor and overestimate effects. Now, there are other sources for asymmetry and funnel plots, so we'll include a table in our show notes. Nerdy point number three is about the risk of bias. In the category of pre-intervention bias that has included confounding and participant selection, there was a serious risk of bias due to confounding in all eight studies and a moderate to serious risk of bias in participant selection. In the category of post-intervention bias, there was a moderate to serious risk of bias due to missing data. And we can see an example of this in Table 1 of the paper where half the studies did not report any follow-up, while the other four studies reported rates of follow-up ranging from 21 to 52% at different time frames, so really kind of all over the place. And unfortunately, I think this study is an example of the garbage-in, garbage-out phenomenon. All of these studies are low-level evidence, missing outcomes of interest, and prone to bias. And so collecting them all together may create this illusion of certainty that is actually not there. Our fourth nerdy point is about practice variation. Now, there's a lot of variations in practice based on institutional policy, individual practitioners, and the authors report that the use of CTA ranged in studies from 0% to 100%, so really spanned that gamut. 
and between 4 to 100% of cases were admitted to the hospital. Antibiotic treatment, when it was reported, ranged from 58 to 100%, and operative management ranged from 1 to 23%. The decision to obtain imaging can also depend on who we end up consulting in the emergency department. The involvement of subspecialists, like an otolaryngologist, Allie, may increase the likelihood of intervention or imaging. How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sometimes it is also about managing the expectations. If we are seeing these kids after they're referred from another emergency department, there are times where children are helicoptered here and told that they are being transferred to this facility specifically to see me and to obtain imaging. So we're a bit stuck in that situation when we've already been kind of set up for that. It would be hard to explain to a family, yes, you've taken a helicopter and I'm just going to recommend some antibiotics and sending you home. I I do tend to give antibiotics for prophylaxis against deep neck space infections because typically these objects, especially a toothbrush, are not very clean and we have a mucosal breakdown, so there's a risk of seeding infection. But if they can tolerate oral intake, I think oral antibiotics are absolutely appropriate. So these kids are not running around with sterile toothbrushes and sterile spoons and sterile toy torpedoes is what you're saying? Correct. Okay. Nerdy point number five is about the clinical decision-making. Now, the problem with the included studies in the systematic review is that we can't determine what clinical factors influence decisions to obtain imaging, start antibiotics, admit to the hospital for observation, or pursue operative management. Yeah, and we also don't have the details of the extent of the injury. Maybe in a patient who has oropharyngeal trauma without much evidence of injury outside of a red mark on their soft palate, we would be less inclined to perform a CTA or imaging of any kind. Also, too, if we see this injury and we can see a nice big tonsil just deep to this laceration, we know that tonsil is protecting the carotid artery and everything deeper. But this same patient had a penetrating injury with active bleeding, we may be a bit more hesitant not to perform a CTA. It's also sometimes helpful if they have the object with you, and you can tell how much went in depending on kind of blood and secretion marking on the object. If it's not significant or looks like it's just, you know, less than a centimeter, sometimes you can defer imaging completely because you're assured that it did not go deeper into the neck. Allie, that young man or young patient that uh, ate, was eating snow and ate a little bit more than snow, did they happen to have that spoon with them? They did. Oh, wow. Very good. Very good on that family. Now, ultimately, CTA does not definitively rule out future cerebrovascular ischemia as that can occur within a span of hours to days, and we are likely not going to have that patient and family stay in the hospital for that entire duration. Allie, can you comment on the author's conclusion compared to the SGM conclusion? We agree with the author's conclusion based on the studies they included, but there's also just lack of high-level evidence to really help guide us in this matter. And what is the SGM bottom line? We don't know the role of CT angiography in pediatric oropharyngeal trauma because there's a lack of high-quality evidence to inform our care. Can you resolve the case you presented earlier on? So in this patient, I'm reassured by the physical exam of the patient. Your friendly 
Otolaryngologist was consulted, and based on the description of the child exam and mechanism, recommends a trial of oral antibiotics for prophylaxis. You engage in shared decision-making with the family and discuss the potential harms and benefits of obtaining imaging. They state that given how good the boy is looking and acting now, they feel comfortable with going home and watching him carefully. And Allie, how do you apply the study findings here clinically? You know, I think it comes down to performing a good physical examination of your patient. You do not always need imaging, especially if the injury is midline or paramedium or only on the soft palate, not going into the lateral pharyngeal wall. There are currently no standards of care from professional associations about how to manage these types of injury and remains a highly debated topic. Also, as we can see from this review, while it's lacking, most times management is not changed by CT angiography. It can be useful in very specific clinical scenarios, which include profuse bleeding, neurostatus changes, crepitus in the neck, or findings on a CT with contrast. And this would include flow void of the carotid, fluid extravasation from the carotid, or a significant air in the carotid space. However, I have yet to see a case where the CTA changed my medical decision-making. And thank you for that. And Of course, we always appreciate being able to consult a friendly otolaryngologist with questions in the emergency department. What should I be telling the patient and family? I would tell them, you know, your child has a small cut from where the toothbrush poked him in the mouth. There's no bleeding from the area. I'm reassured that he looks well and is acting appropriately. Sometimes we get concerned about this kind of injury because there are some blood vessels behind it. Let's discuss some of the options and decide together. A fantastic way to tie things up with some shared decision-making. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Espinel, for joining us on SGMPEDS and sharing your expertise. Thank you for having me. It was fun looking into this, and um, I hope it can help inform some maybe future studies to get some better data on this. Absolutely. And before we go, do you mind giving us the SGM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you've heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time.